This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome, Art Curious listeners, to our bonus series, A Little Curious. A Little Curious provides you with short and sweet bonus content about art history in between our normal episodes. And a couple of times in the middle of season 11, I will pop in to share some shorter stories about some other amazing women who worked to spread the love of art. I had a long list of ladies whom I wanted to showcase in this season, but ultimately I chose eight of them for my full episodes. But now I get the chance to give you a little sneak peek into the lives of a few others. So today, just after a quick break, it is time to get a little curious about Clarabelle and Etta Cohn. I begin my day every day with a cup of wonderful coffee. But actually, I need to back it up further because I take AG1 by Athletic Greens every morning before my first cup of coffee. Longtime listeners know that my health is important to me, and I do what I can to optimize my health and energy. But traditional vitamins, in pill form, are no fun, and they kind of bore me. I wanted something that tasted good and kept me going. So what is AG1? With one delicious scoop of AG1 from Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports everything from your gut health to your nervous system, your energy, focus, aging, and recovery, all the things. It is great. And now my family keeps asking if they can have their own serving of AG1 in the morning. Athletic Greens is the one thing with all the best things. It uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover, and it cost him over $100 a day. So he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to have an optimal nutrition routine all on your own. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can take the opinions of others, because Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It is just one scoop in a cup of water every day, and that is it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com artcurious. Again, that is athleticgreens.com artcurious to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, feeling helpless or trapped, detachment, fatigue, and more. For me, burnout manifests itself in days where all I want to do is lie in bed and watch Netflix. Does that ever happen to you? 
I usually associate burnout with work, but that is not always the only cause. Any of the roles in our lives can lead us to feel burned out, and BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone who can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life is important. I used BetterHelp to connect with a therapist in less than 24 hours, and it was nice to be able to begin talking via phone and chatting right away. There was no waiting, no traveling, no sitting awkwardly in an office. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It is much more affordable than in-person therapy, and like me, you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours to get going as soon as possible. So give it a try. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Art Curious Podcast listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash artcurious. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash artcurious. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Clarabelle and Etta Cohn, typically referred to as the Cohn sisters, were two middle-aged women who ended up becoming among the most important collectors of modern art, especially French art, in the United States in the early part of the 20th century. The Cones were a large family from Jonesboro, Tennessee, and Clarabelle and Etta were two of 13 children born to German immigrants Hermann and Helen Guggenheimer Cohn, who ran a prosperous grocery store. Clarabelle was born on November 14, 1864, and her sister Etta came along on November 30, 1870. When both girls were still young, their family relocated to Baltimore, Maryland, and it was there that both girls attended an all-female high school before going on to vastly different career paths. Clarabelle was drawn to medicine, which was a super rare thing for women during this time period, whereas Etta helped manage the extended Cone household at the same time as becoming a very accomplished pianist. All of this happened around the same period that their older brothers, Moses and Caesar, had themselves relocated to Greensboro, North Carolina, where they established an incredibly successful textile company with the help of their father, called the Proximity Manufacturing Company. And this was truly the turning point for the whole family, because Moses and Caesar hit it big, and they shared their wealth with the family. So the Cone sisters were set for life. That wealth not only provided them with comfort and security, but it also provided them with the freedom to travel and to amass one of the most astounding collections of art in the early 20th century. It's likely that their interest in art really began to develop in the 1890s when Clarabelle, fresh from graduating with her degree from the Women's Medical College in Baltimore, established her own Saturday evening salon, where she invited a slew of artists, writers, scientists, and thinkers to enjoy Clarabelle's growing antique collection and Etta's delicious home cooking. Two of the frequent attendees of the salon, who would go on to have an incredibly influential salon of their own, were fellow Baltimore residents Gertrude and Leo Stein. And hint, hint, we will be hearing about them a little later on in this current season of Art Curious. 
Through their associations with the Steins, Clarabelle and Etta would eventually become renowned collectors of the avant-garde, especially French painting. But it would take a while. It started with a simple request from one of their brothers, who gifted Etta with an allowance of $300 to buy some art to, quote, brighten up the family home. And so she did, purchasing a few works by the American Impressionist Theodore Robinson. But once Clarabelle and Etta began traveling extensively after 1901, things changed quickly. In those early years of the 20th century, the Steins had moved to Paris, establishing themselves with some of the era's newest and most innovative artists. They became two of the first patrons of Pablo Picasso and Henri Matisse, among others, setting themselves up as modern art tastemakers. Once the Cone sisters visited their friend's home in Paris, they saw the work and were immediately impressed and beguiled. By 1905, Clarabelle and Etta purchased their first Picasso. The following year, they claimed their first Matisse. Art was no longer just about decorating the family home or even about decorating the sisters' respective Baltimore apartments. It was now the passion of a lifetime. The sisters' relationship with Matisse and Picasso I find especially interesting because both women met and enjoyed these artists. And though it took a little bit of time getting used to Matisse's garish colors and Picasso's playing with space, they warmed up to Matisse rather quickly after visiting his studio and enjoying his company. Most of all, they said that they appreciated that he was married, that his home and his studio were clean, and that he often wore three-piece suits when he entertained them which gave him, in their eyes, the look of a proper gentleman. The charm and engagement were mutual, too, with Matisse going on to refer to Clarabelle and Etta as my two Baltimore ladies. Etta even played a role later in her life as an early viewer of Matisse's large reclining nude, which is sometimes called the pink nude, when Matisse sent studies of the work in process for her review before she purchased the final piece upon its completion in 1935. The Cone Collection eventually grew to contain 500 works by Matisse and is today known as the largest and most important collection of that artist's work in the world. Picasso, though, that was a different relationship. He was brusque, pointed, radical in a different way compared to Matisse's more old-school demeanor. Still, they knew a good thing when they saw it, and eventually they collected more than 100 works of art by the Spaniard, even if they didn't get along with him quite as well as they did with Matisse. The Cones returned to Baltimore yearly with their European purchases in hand, becoming among the very first wave of American collectors who brought modern European art to the States almost a decade before the famed Armory Show of 1913 which is usually touted as this big, splashy debut of modernism in the U.S. But the Cone sisters did it earlier than that, and they did it at a time when female collectors of the avant-garde were still very rare. Now, to be fair, their finances, which grew even greater after their parents' deaths and they received their inheritance money, meant that the sisters could take risks with their art collecting. They could be a bit bold and experimental with what caught their eye, and over the course of three decades, they collected not only Picasso and Matisse in droves, but also added works by Marie Laurencin, Amadeo Modigliani, Vincent van Gogh, Gustave Courbet, Paul Gauguin, Paul Cézanne, Pierre-Auguste Renoir, Pierre Bonnard, and so many more. 
Photographs of their apartments showed works that were hung from floor to ceiling on every single wall, as the sisters really took the concept of a salon or a gallery hang to its full potential so that they could enjoy seeing as much of it as possible. They eventually rented a secondary apartment, which Clarabelle lovingly referred to as the museum, so that they would have an opportunity to showcase even more of their artistic booty. Eventually, their collection increased to over 3,000 individual pieces, which not only include their famed modernist paintings, but also prints, drawings, textiles, books, bronzes, and even furniture. After Clarabelle's death in 1929 at the age of 64, Etta continued to add to their collection of art, and she even opened up her home for small showings of their collection. The goal by this time had morphed from passion project into personal legacy, and before her death, Clarabelle had floated this idea of bequeathing their estate to an art museum. Specifically, she and Etta had talked about their hometown institution, the Baltimore Museum of Art, as long as, in Clarabelle's words, the spirit of appreciation of modern art in Baltimore should improve. And ultimately, that is exactly what Etta herself decided upon. Though she was wooed by several large art institutions from around the country, she left the Cone Collection to the Baltimore Museum of Art, as well as almost half a million dollars for the construction of a museum wing to accommodate such a major collection. After Etta Cone's death in 1949, the BMA became the holders of the Sisters' legendary collection, with an additional segment going to the Weatherspoon Art Museum at the University of North Carolina Greensboro. The Cone Wing at the Baltimore Museum of Art was completed in 1957, and it has been enjoyed by legions of visitors ever since. For more stories of the unexpected, slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history, subscribe now to the Art Curious podcast on the podcatcher of your choice, follow us on Spotify, or download and listen in on our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. I will catch you here next time for another part of our continuing series on women behind the art, Cherchez la Femme, and again in two weeks for another little look at a great lady in the world of art with a little curious.